Hey everybody, this is Troy, one of the pastors at First Church of the Nazarene. Thank you for listening to the podcast. It is a glimpse into the life of our church. We are ordinary people being transformed into passionate followers of Jesus. And we are committed to join God in the remaking of all things. I pray that this sermon is a blessing and helps you join God today. If we can serve you in any way, we would love to. Please get a hold of us at lafayettenaz.org. Have a great day. Your Bible's with you. The words will be on the screen for you this morning. John chapter 20, beginning with verse 24. It says this, Thomas, who was also called Didymus, probably smart that he went by Thomas, Thomas, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we saw the Lord. But Thomas replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger into the wounds left by the nails, and put my hand into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house This time Thomas was with them, and even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. And Jesus responded to Thomas, My Lord and my God. And Jesus replied, Do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. This is where the Lord this morning. So I don't know if um, you paid a lick of attention to this. And no, no judgment here. This church is a judgment-free zone. So no judgment this morning. But I caught an an interaction that came across my Twitter feed this past week. I will not name names on who is having this interaction. You would know these people. But they were having an interaction, and it was about about this, this band of brothers who, at one point in time, were quite popular. The culprit is giving himself away in our presence this morning. They were quite popular. But then they broke up. But then they announced they were reuniting. If you have not put the pieces together, I'm talking about the Jonas Brothers. The jo- yeah. <laughs> the Jonas Brothers. And they announced that, that they, were, they were getting back together, and then they teased on Twitter this. And I, I took a screenshot of, of, of what they were teasing. They teased this. Hashtag... Happiness begins tomorrow. And everyone got all a flutter. Here were these people who were with us, but then went away. And now they're back, and they're announcing their return over social media. And it got me to thinking, I've been thinking, what if the resurrection happened today in our like social media-saturated world? Would Jesus, on that first resurrection day, on that first Easter Sunday, 
would he have stood in front of the tomb with a selfie and sent out a tweet, I'm back, baby, I'm back. Would he have, like, posted some sort of resurrection appearance in all of his glory with, like, the hashtag, I told you, I told you. But maybe he wouldn't have done any of that. Maybe he would have done some of it. But my guess is he wouldn't have done any of it. Because when we look at the stories of the resurrection in the Gospels, this is what we learn. Jesus is less interested in public announcements and more interested in personal encounters. Let me say it again for the people in the back. Jesus is less interested in public announcements. He's way more interested in personal encounters. If Jesus wanted to, after he was resurrected, he could have appeared to Pilate in the middle of the seat of government's power. He could have showed up to the temple in the most packed out worship gathering He could have gone to the Roman Colosseum like the gladiators did and stood there in the middle of that field and announced his victory. He could have made a public announcement, done all of that, but he did none of it because Jesus is way less interested in public announcements and way more interested interested in personal encounters. And this is what we see throughout the Gospel of John. Each of the Gospels, the Gospels are the books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they each chronicle the life and the ministry of Jesus. And each one of those authors gives their own personal flavor to the story of Jesus' life. They all have their own feel. If you're really into teachings and wisdom And sermons, Matthew is the gospel for you. If you're really into fast-paced action, immediately, 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 Mark is the gospel for you. If you love stories and parables, John or, or Luke, he's your guy. But if you want stories of personal encounters, that's the book of John. John is for you. And so here's the thing. The resurrection of Jesus, I believe, and I would give my life away for, is the most important and miraculous event in all of human history. But Jesus doesn't announce it to the world. Instead, he looks for his friends so that he can have a personal encounter with them. So here's how it goes. On that first resurrection day, on Easter Sunday morning, Jesus first appeared to the women in his life who followed him. The women were the first. They were the first to see Jesus. They were the first to be able to share the news that the Lord has risen. Jesus showed up to them because he was looking for his friends. That afternoon, Jesus appears to two disciples. Later on that evening, most of his disciples who were left were gathered in a room and they locked the doors. And Jesus appeared to them and he says, peace be with you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he sends them out to make disciples and to flood the world with forgiveness. And I said most of the disciples were there because most of them were. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that there were 12 disciples. 
But in that room, on that first Easter evening, only 10 of the 12 were present. Judas was dead, and Thomas was absent. Where was Thomas? It was Sunday. Everybody was gathered together. Where was he? I don't know. Why wasn't he there? I have no idea. I mean, I always get surprised at the reasons people have for, like, not being in church. Maybe he had soccer practice or something. I don't know. He wasn't there. He missed out. He missed out. And all week long, he heard about it from his friends. Thomas, when we were gathered in that room, Jesus showed up. He appeared to us. You weren't there. Why weren't you there, Thomas? You, you missed out. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. He appeared to us. And you missed it. And I think Thomas wasn't there that first Sunday because he doubted. He saw what happened to this Jesus that Thomas gave his whole life away for to follow. And in Thomas's mind, he couldn't understand how someone who was supposed to be so great could die a death that was so brutally cruel. He doubted. And his doubt kept him out of that room that first Easter Sunday. So he missed out. Now, because of that, Thomas has gotten a bad rap. So for 2,000 years now, people have used an adjective to describe Thomas. They don't just say Thomas and call him by his name. They call him Doubting Thomas. And think about if the worst moment in your life you, we all, all of us in this room, we've had bad moments. Think about if that one bad moment in your life forever became the adjective to describe you. So you're not just so, in, you're not just Troy or you're not Ben or whoever. Now, now you have a nickname or an adjective that's put in front of you. That's Thomas. 2,000 years, he hasn't been able to shake it. And he gets that nickname because he had trust issues where the other disciples did not. But I don't think that's fair. Because if you know how the story goes, this is how it goes. Thomas wasn't any less trusting than any of the rest of the disciples. When Mary Magdalene ran home from the cemetery to tell Peter and John that Jesus wasn't in the tomb, what did they do? They didn't believe it either. So what did they do? They ran to the tomb so they could see it for themselves. And when Jesus came back to the house that same night where the disciples were hiding, they believed because why? They saw Jesus for themselves. So the only reason Thomas gets signaled, singled out is because he didn't see it. He didn't have the experience that everybody else had. He didn't see anything for himself, so he doubted. And so his doubt wasn't really with Jesus. His doubt was that the rest of the people in the room were actually telling him the truth. And it reminds us of something. Public announcements of the resurrection, even from friends, are never enough. It takes a personal encounter with the risen Jesus to make a Christian. Your friends can tell you all about the risen Jesus, 
And that's a great thing to do. Friends, if you're here today, keep telling your friends about the risen Jesus. But please know this, your testimony will never be enough. It takes a personal encounter with the risen Jesus to make a Christian. So Thomas wasn't just trying to decide, do I believe that Jesus rose from the dead or not? Thomas was trying to decide, do I believe my friends? And he didn't. And he couldn't. Because he needed to experience it for himself. Now, let's talk about doubt. Let's talk about doubt. Doubt is really common. It's common. But doubt is always deeply personal. It's always deeply personal. And we get into doubt in many different ways. Oftentimes, doubt comes about through some sort of life circumstance. So if we go through a period of pain in our life, we can sometimes start to feel like this whole following Jesus, risen Savior thing is a sham because we're living through this tragedy. So we start to wonder, is God even real? I mean, is he even good? Can this God actually be trusted? Doubt's really common, but it's always personal. It, it emerges when we, when we don't feel like we're getting what we deserve in this life. So maybe we're really giving it all we got. We really want to follow Jesus, and we're, we're giving everything we have to him, but we're not getting anything back in return. And to make it worse, like the jerk down the street, that guy's getting everything he ever wanted, and he's a horrible person. So we start to think, what's up with this? Could this really all be true? Doubt happens in a relationship when someone you love and you trust breaks your heart and you begin to become skeptical of him or her. You start to think things like, they're never going to change. This is just who they are. Doubt is when life doesn't turn out as you thought it would. And here's what's often true. Doubt is often an expression, an outward expression of a really inner wound. Something beneath the surface is hurt, and doubt emerges. And I think that's where Thomas was. He was hurt. He had his own scars. He had his own wounds, and he had a hard time believing, so he doubts. He didn't want to be fooled back into believing this whole thing again when it crashed and burned down. He needed some hard evidence. And here's my guess. My guess is that for some of us, that's where we are today as well. Like, we're just not sure. We want to believe that this is true, that the goodness of God is a real thing, that Jesus is risen from the grave and there's new creation life bursting forth and if we give ourselves over to Jesus and follow him, that he'll shape us and remake us and form us into being and having the kind of life that God has always dreamed of for us. We want to believe that forgiveness is true and love actually wins and reconciliation is better than revenge. We want to believe all of that is true, but man, we doubt it. We doubt it. My guess is that's where some of you are here today. So I just kind of want to give you some quick pointers. What do we do with our doubt? What do we do with our doubt? The first thing is this. Don't deny it. Don't deny it. Pretending that you don't have doubts, like trying to suppress it, 
or bury it. It just feeds the monster. It feeds it. So don't deny your doubts. Don't pretend that you don't have any. Thomas didn't deny it. Thomas openly admitted, I don't believe. Y'all can tell me whatever you want to tell me, but unless I have an encounter for myself, I cannot believe that. Don't deny your doubts. Second is this. Don't make too big of a deal about it. Don't make too big of a deal about it. Doubt is the very thing that makes faith possible. If there's no room for doubt, then why do we even need faith? If the whole thing is super easy to believe, then is it even really faith? Parents especially take concern of this. One of the most important things about raising children to follow Jesus is helping your children to understand God can handle your doubts. You can say to God, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I can buy into all of this. And you know what? God's not some like immature adolescent who gets their feelings hurt and out of revenge will like hate tweet you all the time or text you or block you. That's not how God works. God can deal with it. He can handle it. And so help your children as you're parenting parenting them to follow the Lord. Help them to understand it's okay to express those things. We don't have to make too big of a deal out of it. In fact, what's interesting in Scripture is that not only in the resurrection accounts of Jesus' life, not only does he show up to Thomas who doubted, in Matthew, the last chapter of Matthew, what's really interesting is he said to the disciples, hey, go to this mountain in Galilee and gather there and wait for me, and I'll come and appear to you. And so the disciples do what they said. They go to a mountainside, and there they gather, and they wait for Jesus. And Scripture literally says this. Jesus appeared to them, and most believed, but some doubted. But some doubted. So you need to know that in the community of the resurrected one that Jesus creates, in the kind of community that the resurrected Jesus creates, there is room. There's room for people who don't yet believe. It's okay to doubt. Don't make too big of a deal about it. And then thirdly and most importantly is this. Bring your doubts to church. Bring your doubts to church. Just because you have doubts doesn't mean you have to remove yourself from church. And this is what Thomas teaches us. So Easter evening, the first Easter Sunday, all the disciples except for Judas who was dead and Thomas who was absent, they all met together and Jesus shows up. The next week, Thomas is there. He still doubts. The whole week he's been hearing his friends tell him, we saw this guy. And the whole week Thomas has been saying, that's great that you saw him, but I haven't seen anything like that. Unless these things happen, I'm not going to believe. And it would have been really easy for Thomas then to start ghosting those people. And to be like, y'all are crazy. Seeing ghosts, you're telling me stuff. We all saw him die. It was horrible. It was brutal. We don't need to have this conversation. He could have done that. But the next week he's there. He brings his doubts with him to church. His doubt didn't keep him away that time. And once again, on that second Sunday of Easter, Jesus appears. And notice how Jesus interacts with Thomas. 
Jesus doesn't show up and say, hey, good to see all you guys again. Hey, I hear that one of you in this room has been doubting me all week long. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? One of you guys has been going around saying that you don't believe. And listen, I got some words to have with that person. That's not what Jesus says. He doesn't berate Thomas. I would imagine that in that tiny little room where all the doors were locked and the window blinds were drawn and closed because they were scared to death for their life, I would imagine that Thomas is the one standing in the background. And Jesus shows up and they're wondering, how'd you get in the room? We locked all the doors. He shows up and he says, hey guys, peace. Peace be with you. And then he looks at Thomas. He doesn't scold him for his lack of trust. He says, Thomas, I know what you're requiring is to poke and to prod and to investigate. Come on. Come on. Stick your finger in my hands. You see those holes? Stick your hand into my side. Now, here's what's really interesting. Jesus gives the invitation, but nowhere in the story does John tell us that Thomas actually did it. Instead, after that invitation was given, after the appearance was made, and after the invitation was given, Thomas bursts out and he says, my Lord and my God. Because here's what I think is happening. What Thomas really wanted was not the evidence. What he really wanted was a personal encounter. He wasn't looking for the science. Explain to me, Jesus, how this happened. He wasn't looking for that. Didn't need the data. What he really wanted was for Jesus to call his name and to invite him into a new reality. And some of us are here this morning and we have questions about this new thing that God is doing. And they're really good questions and they need to be answered. But others of us are here and what we need more than anything is a personal encounter with the risen and resurrected Jesus. Because Easter is not just about all the historical evidence and mounting and stacking them up so that we can make an informed decision. We may say we want that hard evidence, and maybe we do, but what we really need more than that is we need Jesus to appear to us and to make himself personally known to us. And for many of us, we'll never believe until that happens. And this is the blessing of doubt. This is the blessing of doubt. It was Thomas's doubt that got him in the room that Easter Sunday. He was, he was given this thing another chance, but he still doubted. And doubt can often be a window, an invitation, a gateway into the life of of Jesus. And so I have to be honest with you this morning. I've been praying in two specific ways for you this week. The first is this, that those of you who are struggling with doubt, that you would come to believe in Jesus. I want nothing more for you than that. But here's the second prayer. I've been praying for those of you who are checked out, who are just meh on the whole thing. I've been praying that you actually would begin to doubt. Because I think that doubt can be a good thing. I think God can use doubt. Doubt's way better than indifference. 
I'm praying that some of you will actually begin to care enough that you'll start to doubt, that you'll start to say to God, okay, if you actually are real, then here's what I need. Here's the encounter that I'm looking for. Because what we see through the testimony of Scripture is God can deal with that. God can work with that. He can work with someone who says, I'm not sure that I believe this, but if you actually are, here's what I'd like to see happen. What's really tough for God is when we're just kind of like, whatever, whatever. Because it could be that we don't even need that thing that we say that we need in order to believe. It could be that what we really need the most is to actually encounter Jesus. And that's what Thomas needed. He said he needed that hard evidence. What he really needed is to be in the room with Jesus on the same day. And here's what happens. When we get ourselves to the place where we present our needs before the Lord and he appears to us and he encounters us, what happens to Thomas is the same thing that happens to us. All of a sudden we move from a posture and a position of skepticism to surrender. And we say to the Lord, my Lord, my Lord, and my God. If you're here this morning and you're not sure, there's nothing more that Jesus would like to do than to make himself known to you. Not so that he can stack up the evidence in front of you. Not so that he can berate you, but so that he can invite you to have a personal encounter with him.